You may be seated. All right, so I love to just open the Bible and camp out in one passage and just pull out a few things from one passage every once in a while. And uh, it makes things a lot easier. This is not one of those mornings, okay? So what I need is, I, boy, I need your best attention, okay? I need you to stay with me. I need you to engage. Uh, you've got a bulletin in front of you. I hope you brought a Bible somehow that you can access. Uh, if you didn't bring one, there's blue Bibles in the pews. You can just follow along with me. Maybe you need to take out your phone. We'll have the scriptures on the screens that you can follow along with. But this morning, as we continue our discussion of the Holy Spirit and, and really focusing in on this idea of that there are aspects of the Spirit I just never knew, I just never understood until I began to mature in my faith, began to encounter the Scriptures, to let the Holy Spirit reveal Himself to me. Uh, we want to continue to build in those ideas. And this morning, I've just got to take you to a number of different places, okay? We've got to go to a number of Scriptures and tie those Scriptures together. And I'm just praying the Holy Spirit kind of pulls us along this morning and makes it all click. But this is what I really need you to do. Every single week, I encourage you to take your bulletin and to sit down after you leave this place and go back through the verses and go back through what's taught and to study those things with the Word of God in your lap and with the Holy Spirit of God present for you so that you can understand those things on your own. But I really need you to do it this morning. I really need you to do that as this week progresses because if not, then, then this is going to be lost this morning. We don't, we don't think the best things that happen at Trinity happen in here. We think the best things that happen in Trinity was when God takes the Word of God and transforms us one-on-one -on -one in our closets before the Lord every single day. So I want to encourage you to take that bulletin, and also if you open up, you've got that going deeper inside your Bible, which will do, or inside your bulletin, which will help guide you through that process. But this morning, uh, we're going to move and groove. You ready to go? So I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. Uh, this is where we camped out last week. If you remember, what we've done so far is just trying to introduce some real basic discipleship on the person of the Holy Spirit in our congregation, just in case your background did not provide that for you. Just in case you came from a background like I did, where we talked about God the Father a lot, and we talked about God Jesus, uh, God the Son a lot, but we didn't really talk about God the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to make sure that you're never going to leave this place and in 20 years as a young person say, you know what, my pastor never really talked to me about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you need to listen up, because that's not going to be true, Okay. What we talked about, first of all, was this, that the, the foundation of everything we're talking about is that the Holy Spirit of God is a person. He is a person to be related to. He is not a force. I know sometimes when we encounter the Scripture's description of the Holy Spirit, we see analogies and we see descriptions of Him where it'll say things like this, He's like water, or that He's like fire, or He's like wind. But we need to make sure we understand what Scripture is saying and what it's not saying. Scripture is not saying that because the Holy Spirit is like fire, He is fire. Or that because He's like water, He is water. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. Why is that important? Because I relate to persons differently than I relate to forces. And if I see the Holy Spirit as a force, I'm not going to relate to Him properly. When I relate to the force of electricity in my house... I respond to electricity in one of three ways. I either try to protect myself from it, or I could create these boundaries so that electricity doesn't get out of control, or I try to, uh, I try to control it and utilize it for my purposes. 
That's how you interact with a force, right? And the problem is none of those three are appropriate in your interaction with the Holy Spirit. We don't shield ourselves from the Holy Spirit. We don't try to put Him in a box and tell Him how to move. We also don't uh, try to manipulate Him or to control Him in any way. That's not what we do when we interact with Him. We interact with Him as a person, not a person like you and me. He's completely different in His personhood. He's infinite, just like God the Father. He has all knowledge and all power available for Him. He should be worshipped in reverence. He's not your buddy, okay? But He is still a person to be related to. And one of the things we talked about last week is learning some better language in our interaction with the Holy Spirit so that we can interact with Him better as a person. And one of the problems is we talked about, for God the Father, we have all these ways that we describe Him in Scripture. We talk about, uh, we refer to Him as Yahweh, or as the living God, or as the God of, of angel armies. We, we talk about all these wonderful things we say about the Father. And then when it comes to Jesus, we say the Lord Jesus. We say the Messiah. We say uh, the Prince of Peace, a wonderful counselor. We say all these things, Emmanuel, when we talk about Jesus. But it seems like in Scripture, you've got three ways to talk about the Holy Spirit, right? You can say the Holy Spirit, you can say the Spirit, and you can say the Spirit of God. But last week, we saw additional language that Jesus kind of builds into us, and that's the idea of Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. Do you remember that from last week? John 14. What Jesus helps us understand is this role the Holy Spirit plays in our relationship with God the Father in which the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and He begins to walk with us through life and begin to bear the issues of our life alongside of us. And that's the idea that's communicated in the paraclete. Remember, paraclete is a Greek word that's combined of para, which is beside, kalin, which is to call. And so Jesus chose that to describe the Holy Spirit. Now we've, we've got a little bit more language with which we can interact with the Holy Spirit, right? And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is Jesus goes much deeper than what we touched on last week when it comes to the work of the paraclete, and we're going to spend the next couple of days and weeks just kind of going deeper in that and making sure we have that full understanding of the Holy Spirit's work for us. But this morning, what I want to hone in on is the Holy Spirit's work in our salvation, the role that he plays in our salvation. Now again, the focus when it comes to salvation and our teaching and our preaching tends to be on Jesus, which is appropriate. It's absolutely appropriate because Jesus is God himself who took on flesh and walked this earth, right? Jesus is the one who lived that perfect sinless life for us. Jesus is the one who sacrificed that perfect sinless life on the cross. And on that cross, shed his blood so that our sins could be covered. Jesus is the one that was resurrected from the dead as one of those first fruits that proves that not only can resurrection be real, but we can be resurrected one day as well as we have faith in him. And it was Jesus, Acts chapter 2 says, that actually poured out the Holy Spirit on the believers in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. So of course we think of Jesus in those roles when it comes to salvation, but today... I want you to walk away understanding the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, has an incredible role in your salvation as well. And by understanding that, it's going to deepen our ability to relate to Him well. So let's do this. Back to John chapter 14. That's where we were last week. We're actually going to read much of what we read last week, but we're going to hone in and take it in a different way. So John chapter 14, 
If you've got one of the blue Bibles, that's on page 1676. You can flip there if you're not familiar. So John 14, down to verse 18. Here's what Jesus says. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me. And because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father. And you're in me, and I'm in you. And whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So in verse 26... In my translation, it says, but the advocate. Now, you may have a different translation there. You may have something like comforter or counselor. You may have strengthener or helper. They're trying to communicate that Greek word, paraclete, which is that picture of someone coming alongside. So you can understand why an advocate would work. That's someone who speaks on another's behalf. You can understand strengthener or helper, why that works for that. But whatever you see in English, make sure you're thinking paraclete. You with me? And Jesus, again, equates the paraclete with the Holy Spirit. So it's very clear who Jesus is talking about. Now look at the two things in verse 26 that Jesus says the paraclete will do. He says he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He'll teach you all things and he will remind you of everything I have said to you. And I want you to understand that these two promises of the work of the paraclete are incredibly important to your day in and day out relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because these people who were in this story and heard Jesus teach this became the foundation of the early church. Right? These are the men who after Jesus' death and resurrection were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And then they began to preach the gospel. And thousands of men and women heard the gospel and responded in the Holy Spirit and became believers in Jesus. And the church just exploded. And the church was looking to these original 12 men. And they were asking them, what was it like to be with Jesus? What did Jesus teach? What would Jesus have done in this situation? What did Jesus want us to understand about the Old Testament and God the Father? They were looking to these apostles, these first ones, as the authorities. And it was the Holy Spirit that empowered these men to know what to teach. And it was the Holy Spirit that reminded them of everything that Jesus taught them. Are you with me so far? But look, let's build on that. These men, over the next three decades, four decades, began to teach and have authority in the church. And as they began to die, the early church started to have some anxiety. And this is what they were thinking. What happens when these 11 are gone? 
What's our link to Jesus? And do you know how they began to solve that problem? The Holy Spirit began to move, and these apostles began to write down things like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So John, who was one of those original 12, wrote down what we're reading right now because of his memory, what the paraclete taught him and what he remembered about Jesus. Matthew, who was one of those 12, writes down his understanding of Jesus' life. You have Mark, who wasn't part of the 12, but most scholars believe got his information from Peter, who was one of the 12. And then you have Luke, who wasn't one of the 12, but Luke went to everybody that he could figure out in the early church and tried to gather as much information about Jesus as he could, and that's the gospel that we have there. So then the gospels began to take shape. And do you understand it was the work of the paraclete that allowed that to happen? How many of you have read all four Gospels before? I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just general. Okay, if you read the Gospels, here's what you'll figure out. You'll see some common stories, right? A lot of common stories. But then you'll see some new stories in each Gospel. And you'll see some of the same stories with different perspectives, right? How did that happen? Because the Holy Spirit moved in Matthew and Luke and John to record exactly what he wanted them to record in their version so that we could have these things. There is no teaching about the paraclete in Matthew, Luke, or Mark. You know where it is? It's in John. How did John know to teach about the paraclete? Because the paraclete said, listen, put it in your writing. And praise God, we have it from John's recollection, right? The paraclete brought that to his understanding. And he didn't just do this with the gospel writers. I want you to watch this. Flip to the right in your Bible. First time you're going to flip, okay? So stay with me. Or maybe you don't want to flip. You just want to see what's on the screen. That's fine. But 2 Peter chapter 1, down to verse 20. That's on page 1894 in the Blue Bible. Now I hear you flipping. There you go. 2 Peter chapter 1, down to verse 20. Listen to what Peter, one of those original apostles, listen to what he says about how Scripture came about. Above all else, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through the Holy Spirit, or through human, I'm sorry, let me stop. Verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through the human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter gives us this amazing insight that whenever God began to move through a prophet, a prophet didn't speak what came out of their mind. He didn't speak out of their experience or how they were perceiving the world. Prophets spoke because the Holy Spirit of God moved in them so that what was communicated through those prophets that became Scripture was exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted, including what Peter wrote just there. So it's not just about the Gospels, it's also about these other writers that Jesus used to bring the New Testament into being. People like Luke and Jude and the Apostle Paul and all of these different writers, the Holy Spirit moved in them in the same way. Now I want you to flip back to the left in your Bible to 2 Timothy. This is just a couple of pages. You'll see Hebrews, it's pretty long. Then Philemon and Titus. And then you'll be in 2 Timothy. And I want you to flip to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's on page 1853. You can flip there. Listen to how Paul talks about it. 2 Timothy is one of the last books that Paul wrote before his death. He knows the end is near. 
So what he's communicating to his young disciple, Timothy, is some of the most important information he can pass on to him, right? Look at what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is, underline this in your Bible, God-breathed. God-breathed. This is a Greek word that's made up of two Greek words. Theos, which is God, where we get theology, right? The study of God, theophany, like an appearance of God. We, we get theos there. And the word pneuma. Now, pneuma in Greek has three ways to translate it. It can be breath, it can be wind, but it's also the word that we use for the Spirit. So I want you to watch what Paul's doing here. He uses a word that doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, nowhere else. In fact, as I studied, I could not find it in Greek literature anywhere. It seems to be unique to Paul's writings. Now, Paul wasn't a smart cat. I think the Holy Spirit was a smart cat. And he spoke to Paul and said, I want you, I want you to create a word to communicate how I work in Scripture. What does he say? That all Scripture is God-breathed. Do you see how that equates the Holy Spirit's work with the breathing of end to Scripture and God bringing authority to it. You follow me? Man, what a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit establishes Scripture for you and me as our authority, as our rule of faith and practice so that we know how to live out our life, so that we know truth, so that we can relate to God. He established the Scriptures for us. Now, Pastor Matt, I thought you were going to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in our salvation. And so far, we've talked about the Holy Spirit's work to establish Scripture. So what's going on? You can't talk about one without talking about the other. You've got to get this first. We have the Bible because the Holy Spirit made it happen. He used human writers. He overcame all of their brokenness and sinfulness. He didn't destroy their personality or set aside everything else. He used them, but he overcame everything that they were to make sure exactly what they said is exactly what he wanted to be said. And he has preserved this for 2,000 years, and he will preserve it into all of eternity. First Peter chapter 1 says the grass withers. Get this. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands all through next week. No? All through 2026. No? The word of God endures forever. You're going to spend eternity in heaven, and guess what? The word of God is going to be there too. Because it established your salvation. It revealed God the Father for us. The Word of God isn't going anywhere. You're going somewhere one day. The Word of God isn't going anywhere. And the Holy Spirit made that happen. Now, let's talk about why that's important to our salvation. So turn to the left in your Bible. Boy, you're flipping all over today, aren't you? Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 on page 1758 in your blue Bible. Paul is communicating with the Roman church and he's talking about their salvation and how they came to faith. And he throws in this little nugget that you got to get. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, get this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our message? Verse 17, underline this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. It gives us this really key understanding to our salvation. We are people who are saved by faith through grace. That's what scripture says. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. Therefore it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works lest any man should boast. Faith is a part of our salvation. It's how we enter into relationship with God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So it's not just a collection of facts. It is facts that have transformed us. It is facts that has moved into experience and that are being acted on. And according to uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it is faith that arises out of the Word of God. Our faith comes from an encounter with the Word of God, and I would say that's an encounter with the Word of God that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Are you following me? And here is my genuine worry as your pastor. I'm going to tip my cards to you. Here's my genuine worry about the American church, and I fear sometimes in this church that we have had an encounter with the facts of Scripture, but it has not created faith in Jesus Christ. We know the Bible. We have been raised in church. We've heard the stories about Jesus. We've heard about Moses. We've heard about the party of the Red Sea and David. We've heard these things. And we have pitched these ideas and these facts before each other. But if those facts are not empowered by the Holy Spirit of God so that faith is created, then we are not saved. We're not saved. And I, I want to try to break this down as best I can help you understand it. Russia invaded Ukraine this week, right? I mean, we saw the headlines. I'm just curious. How many of you gained some new understanding, some new facts about Ukraine this week that you didn't know before this week started? Anybody learn something? Yeah, I thought so. Because it's on the front page of everything that we look at. Maybe you learned that Ukraine butts up right up against Russia. Maybe you didn't know where Ukraine was in the first place. It could have been in Africa for all you know, but it's not. It's in Eastern Europe, and it's right beside Russia. Maybe you learned some of the history of Ukraine. Maybe you understood how it plays out in the world wars, World War I, World War II. Maybe you learned how it fits in to the geopolitical stance over there. You picked up some things. You gained some facts about Ukraine. I've been to Ukraine. 
Ten years ago, my wife and I got on a plane. We went to Ukraine. We did ministry there. I got to teach in a school. I got to teach in... Uh, we have TKA here. They have KCA, Kiev Christian Academy in, in the Ukraine. Private Christian school. Amazing work of the Lord there. It was one of the best mission trips I've ever been on. They gave me this little tote bag that was in my office this morning. I still have it to this day. I met teachers there. I met missionaries there. I met kids there. Some of them I've been able to connect with since I've come back to Florence. They've moved to the States. The headmaster of the school at KCA while I was there is the headmaster of the Montessori school in Florence right now. His name's Day Wysong. Is that crazy? That's crazy. Him and his wife, Neva, were called to be missionaries over there. They were the head of that school for well over a decade. Amazing man and woman of God. God used them in powerful ways. Now they're here in Florence. Praise God they're here. I've been to Ukraine. The facts that were brought out about Ukraine impacted me differently than they impacted you because I've been to Ukraine. I've met Ukrainians. My mom has been to Ukraine every year for the last seven years except for 2020 when COVID broke out. So when I picked up the phone yesterday to talk to my mom, I said, hey, how you feeling about Ukraine? She couldn't finish the conversation without breaking down in tears. Because she's gone seven times. She stayed in houses. She stayed with pastors. Her Sunday school class takes up offerings for a Ukrainian pastor that she goes to every single year who just had to flee their city in the east. And they got out while the Russians were coming in. And they had to flee all the way over to the west. And when mom said, how are you doing? He said, you know, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the east or the west. They're coming here sooner or later. And he said, listen, pray for us. Pray for us. Day Wysong and Neva Wysong have a completely different experience with Ukraine than, than I do because they live there. They raise their kids there. Their kids speak Russian. They live there. I have facts about Ukraine. Some of you gained some new facts about Ukraine, but it hasn't brought you to a deeper experience with Ukraine because you haven't been there. You can have all the facts you want about Scripture. All the facts you want about Jesus. But if the Holy Spirit of God has not taken those facts and created faith in you, then they're just facts. And facts are not enough for our salvation. Faith comes from hearing the Word. Well, Pastor Matt, how do I know? <laughs> how do I know? If all that I'm experiencing are facts about Jesus and not faith in Jesus, I, I don't know for sure, but let me just challenge you. Has there been any change in your life from being exposed to facts from what it was till now? Because I know this. I'm learning a lot about the Holy Spirit, but I do know this. When the Holy Spirit shows up, He changes things. So if the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He has done a work in your life, your life will be different. Sometimes that's radical change. Sometimes it's incremental change. But I would ask you, is there change? Is there change? I just want to challenge you with this. If the only time that you think about God and God has your attention any day of the week is when you walk in here for the hour and a half you're in this room, I want to challenge you. You may not know Jesus. Because to know Jesus is to have a relationship with Him. If we don't understand and know Him and are not growing in a relationship 
with someone. You know what it's like to have facts about your next door neighbor and not have a relationship with them, right? I mean, we know what that feels like. The question is not whether or not we have facts about Jesus. Do we know Jesus and what allows that to take place? The Holy Spirit of God creating faith in us. The Holy Spirit of God. So I want you to look back to John. John 15. I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit or Jesus teaches us about the paraclete's work in our salvation. John 15, down to verse 26. That's on page 1677 if you're still in the Blue Bible. Jesus said this. When the advocate, that's the paraclete, right? When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He'll testify about me. How does that play into our salvation? Well, when you and I encounter the facts of the gospel, we encounter the scripture. It is the Holy Spirit of God that speaks to your spirit and says, this is true. This is real. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. And if you've not experienced it, I pray you experience it. But if you've experienced, you know what I'm talking about. You know the Bible was foolishness to you. You read the Bible uh, all the time. It was just foolishness to you. The stories didn't make sense. You couldn't relate to it. You didn't want to read it. When you, it, it was like reading another language. It was foolishness. It was closed to you. It was as hard as a rock on a floor. It didn't make a difference to you. But when the Holy Spirit moved on your life and He testified about this being true and He testified about Jesus, who is the Word, by the way. Jesus is the Word. When he testified in your heart, then you open it and you're like, oh, okay. And that doesn't mean you became a Greek scholar or that suddenly you know Hebrew, but it does mean this. It started to come alive for you. And you begin to understand what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. The word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And you know what it's like because you've sat under the Word of God and you've had your thoughts and attitudes judged. You know what it's like. That's the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? That's the Holy Spirit. So back to Romans 8. We were just in Romans. Couldn't we have stayed in Romans? We could have, but it's good for you. You were going to fall asleep if I didn't make you turn, so it's good. Romans 8. Back to Romans 8. Page 1755 in the Blue Bible. Why don't you listen to that same church planner Paul says in another place about the Spirit. Listen to these nuggets he passes on to us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, he's talking about all the power of our human abilities, your body, your mind, all of your energies. That's the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Man, I would, I would probably memorize that verse this week. Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Did you see that? Brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Isn't that amazing? So look at what the Holy Spirit does in our salvation. First, Paul gives us insight. He's there at the beginning of our salvation. It says, He is the one who brought about your adoption to sonship. When God chose to bring you into his family, you're not one of his blood-born children. You're an adopted child, which is awesome because in this culture, adoption carried a lot more weight than in our culture. In this culture, if a child was adopted, they had even more rights than a blood-born child. A blood-born child could be put to death if the father wanted to do that. A blood-born child could be disowned. You could get rid of their inheritance. You could throw them out of the family. You adopt the child into your family in the Roman culture. You not only could not put them to death, but you could never take away their inheritance. They were guaranteed an inheritance, and you could never disown them again. It was a legally binding contract. And that's what God did for us. And how did he do it? He did it by the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God, applying faith in your life so that you could believe and respond. That's how you entered into this family. Praise God for his work. But not just that. Now the Spirit of God testifies that I'm his child. He testifies. I don't know how to describe it to you other than there's just some things you know that you know that you know. If you've ever been in love or you're in love right now, you know you're in love. No one, no one has to say, hey, are you? I don't know if you're in love or not. No, I'm in love. How do you know? I'm in love. Well, why are you in love? I don't know. I'm in love. I mean, it moves be beyond she's pretty and she cooks really well. It moves into like, I want to be with her. I mean, I want to spend the rest of my life where I want to sign the contract. Where, where's the ring? Let's go do it. You know that you know that you know you're in love. And this is what the Spirit does. When we're in relationship with Him and God the Father, this is what He, He, he burns into our soul. You belong to Jesus. You're, you're, you're God's child. You know that you know that you know. And you just know. And I, I can show you all the scriptures that can tell you how it happens, but I, I can't make you know. Only the Holy Spirit can make you know, but when you know, you know. You know. And if you know, it's the Holy Spirit that allows you to know. Because His Spirit is one with yours. And I want to see one last thing that He does, and then we can go... We can eat donuts or whatever we're going to eat today. Ephesians 1. Last little scripture. Not only did the Holy Spirit establish our salvation, not only does he sustain it. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he seals it for us. Watch this. This is on page 1815 if you haven't found it yet. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Again, Paul's balancing out what he said. Faith comes from hearing the word, right? Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, which was what? The promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession 
to the praise of his glory. So when we entered in to that relationship with him through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God created faith in your heart. The Holy Spirit sealed you forever. He sealed you before your God forever. He sealed your salvation. The picture here is of back in the Roman times when an official would take his signet ring and he would write out a letter and he would put a blob of wax on it and he would take his ring and he would mark that blob of wax with a seal and it said the person who wrote this is communicating their authority in what they wrote. And if anybody opens it that's not supposed to be opened, they're under the consequences of that person's authority. They were sealed. Yesterday or Friday, our kids left for camp. They had to notarize their forms. I'm a notary. I had to sign my name on half a gabillion forms, and then I had to take my little stamp. And I had to seal it so the state of South Carolina knows that someone with authority has verified that that permission slip is accurate and everything that's on it. It was a seal. We still do it today. Paul says this, the Holy Spirit is the seal of what God has done for you in salvation. That when the Holy Spirit awakens us, he means to keep us. Well, Pastor Matt, I, I sin all the time. How does that affect my salvation? It affects your communication with the Lord. It affects your intimacy with the Lord. But it will never affect your relationship with the Lord. And this is why. Your salvation is not based on your works. It's based on faith. And who created faith for you? The Holy Spirit of God. And who indwells you? The Holy Spirit of God. And who took the word of God and awakened it to you so you could be saved? The Holy Spirit did. And the Holy Spirit, listen to me, was not going to do all that. He was not going to do all that because he knew the beginning from the end. He knows your future. He knows every single screw-up that's coming your way. He already knows it. He knew it from the beginning of time. He was not going to seal you if he didn't mean to keep you. He knows you've blown it. He knows you've blown it. But he knows he can fix it. He can fix it. So he comes and he lives inside of you. And he begins to transform you. And when you blow it again, then he takes that and he transforms that too. Your job is not to fix you. You can't fix you. It's to submit to the one who can fix you. It's the Holy Spirit. You submit to him. You give him the pieces of your life. And he will put them back together. I promise he will. He's got power no counselor has to unravel your past. He has power no doctor has to heal your body and your mind. He can do it. Our job is to submit to him. Listen, I hope the next time you think about what God has done for you in salvation, I hope that now the Holy Spirit walks in the door too. And we don't just think about how good our holy God is who loved us and how good the Lord Jesus was to shed his blood, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God comes in and fills us with his joy and reminds us, I am right here with you. That's my heart. The praise team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a final song. And there's a chance, there's at least a chance that the Holy Spirit God has been testifying in someone's spirit that what you've heard this morning from the word of God is true. There is a chance that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you that what you know about God and what you know about the Bible and what you know about Jesus is just a bunch of facts, but it's not become faith in you. 
and maybe something is changing in your heart, and for the first time you're understanding there's more for me than this, and you're beginning to know that you know that you know that God has a plan for you and that he wants a relationship with you. Maybe that's you. If it is, this is the day to respond to that. Let's respond to that together. You can go to one of our elders and their wives. They'll be around the sanctuary. You can come here and talk to this pastor. You can go to this altar and pray. You can pray right where you are, but respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now. Let's stand together.